So in 2018, I had the privilege of writing a new class for Sunday school. This was at a different church that I was serving at, and Sunday school, for the most part at this church, was always really well attended. It was, it was great. Very much like this church, I was so pleased the last time we had a Sunday school class offered at this church uh, just a few months ago, how well attended it was, and I'm happy to announce that our next Sunday school class is actually going to be September 11th. So that is the Sunday after our Labor Day retreat. So make sure you mark your calendars for September 11th. We're most likely going to be uh, having a class based on the survey that we sent out to you. Most of you wanted a class on Christian ethics. So we're hopefully going to call it something different because we don't want to put people to sleep with that title. But we'll probably think of something really clever. But really what we're hoping to do is create a class that helps us to navigate this world and understanding what God's word says and how we can know what is right and what is wrong for our own lives. So it'll be a really interesting class. We hope that you attend it. But in 2018, I had written a brand new class. And despite Sunday school classes being really well attended at this church, I was shocked to show up to the class one day and every single seat was filled. In fact, every single seat was so filled that we needed to pull in other chairs and, and, and trace them along the wall in the back. I mean, we were packed. And I think the reason why we were packed wasn't just because people wanted to hear me teach. It was because of the topic that we were talking about. You see, the class that I had written was a class titled Sovereign Author, Why does God allow there to be pain and suffering? And I think that class, if anything, proved in its attendance how many of us wonder that question. And what we decided to do for this class that was a little bit different, and I hope one day to teach it here again, is we decided to take the first 10 minutes of this class and offer other people an opportunity to share their own stories of pain and suffering. And as week by week went on, we heard some powerful stories Stories of people that survived sexual assault, injustice, sickness, the loss of a child, the loss of a loved one. Those stories all started to pour in. And it was amazing because so many people just did not realize some of the burdens that were carried or some of the victories that were had or some of the scars that sometimes we hide. But there was one particular Sunday that was very meaningful for me. And that it was meaningful because my wife shared some of her pain and suffering. And I wish she was here today. I know that she wanted to be at church, but as Phil had mentioned earlier, uh, I, I, I love them so much that I give them everything that I have, including COVID. So <laughs> thankfully, I'm in the clear now, uh, but they're, they're, they're trying to handle that, and uh, thankfully, it looks like things are going okay for them, but we didn't want to get anybody else sick. 
Uh, but this Sunday in particular where my wife shared, it was so meaningful for me because she shared her story of pain and suffering. A story that most people at that church and most people in this church just haven't heard just yet of some of the scars in her life of tragedy that happened and a story of really when God in some ways died in her life uh, from the traumas that she had to go through. But what stuck out to me after she shared that story was the aftermath of people that just started to go up to her. And there was this one woman in particular that stood out to me. And she stood out to me because she came up to my wife with tear-filled eyes. And she began to ask my wife for forgiveness. And my wife was very confused on, on why this woman was asking for forgiveness. Because you see, she had never met this woman before. See, even though she attended our church, uh, we hadn't had an opportunity to meet this person yet because the church was rather large and that was pretty normal. So this woman goes and apologizes to my wife and she begins to tell my wife, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I used to see you on Sundays and you were always so quiet and sometimes you carried a sad face and I just judged you for it. I used to say to myself in my head, what could possibly go, be going wrong with this girl's life? She's young, she's married to a pastor, which is rather ironic because if any of you have served in ministry, you know that being a pastor's wife isn't always the easiest post. But that's what she thought. She thought, how could anything, how could this woman have anything to complain about? So she judged her in thinking, ah, that person needs to have a better attitude. And what a beautiful opportunity it was to show my wife that she needed to extend forgiveness to her, but also a beautiful picture of just how we fail at times in realizing the pains and the struggles that we often carry. And I share this story because I want to make just that exact point. That many of us in life have our own scars. We have our own struggles. We have our own doubts and pains and things that we have carried that many people have no idea of some of the things that we've had to endure. And I want to take the time today to address this aching question that is oftentimes on our hearts, or at least on the hearts of others. Why does God allow pain and suffering? Now, there's a few obvious things that we should, we should take note of. I only preach for about 35 minutes or so. I don't have the time today to fully, exhaustively answer this question. So all I'm offering you today is a little glimpse at what I think is a reason why God allows pain and suffering. But my goal for today is that for each of us to hopefully leave this place with a different picture of God's interaction in our lives with pain and suffering. In the life of a man born blind in John chapter 9. And hopefully that through this picture we could better see for ourselves that God is not the author of evil. That in truth there is much more that needs to be said 
on this topic than the 35 minutes that I'll be preaching. But there are some answers that we can look to in Scripture on why pain and suffering occurs. So if you didn't know, the question of why does God allow pain and suffering is an age-old question. And in fact, it comes from originally from a philosopher from ancient Greece named Epicurus. And we'll put a picture, a, a slide of that on the screen. Now that, that beautiful man right there with that that beard that I'm very jealous of. Uh, His name was Epicurus, and he lived around the 4th century B.C., and he was a famous uh, philosopher, and you've maybe even heard the term Epicurus or Epicurean philosophy. And what's interesting about Epicurus is he wondered, like many of us, how evil could exist if there was an all-good, all-powerful, and all-knowing God. This problem really concerned Epicurus. It concerned him so much that Epicurus actually goes down in history as one of the first atheists in history. One of the first persons to totally disbelieve in God as an entire philosophy of life. So we're going to be looking a little bit more at that question through the lens of John chapter 9. So let's go ahead and read John chapter 9, verse 1. Follow along with me as I read. As he, referring to Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. So again, Jesus encounters a blind man in the ministry, and the disciples immediately ask a question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, that was a common thought within the first century. And I really think it's a thought that hasn't gone away, right, if we really think about it. And the thought that the first century believers had, the Jewish believers had, was that if you had an ailment, a physical ailment like blindness, for instance, then there was something wrong with you. There was something that you did in sinning against God. Maybe at the very least, if it wasn't you, it was a generational curse that was passed on to you from likely your parents. And this is a product and a result of sin. And the fact that you are blind or the fact that you can't have children or the fact that you have this ailment that is plaguing your life is a symptom of sin and also God's punishment on your life. Now I say this as a first century belief within Palestine, but think about it. Has that belief really gone away Have we really stopped thinking that way? I think if anything, many of us still think that way, right? One of the hardest things that I have to do as a pastor is visit people within a hospital. And it's not the act of visiting people within a hospital that's bad, but so often the conversations 
that carry out from that visit are what's hard on me. Because so often I hear people say, I just don't get why God is punishing me. I just don't get why God is punishing me. And I'm not here to shame you if you have felt that way, but I am here hopefully to encourage you to think a little bit differently. So here we have Jesus and his disciples thinking that this person born blind is is a result of either the sin in his life or the sin in his parents. But listen closely to the words of Christ that follow in verse 3. He says this, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So in this very moment, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is looking past the only two options for this man's sickness. Because chances are that if the disciples were thinking that way, then everybody was thinking this way. That this man himself grew up with a burden on his shoulders, thinking, God, why are you punishing me? God, what did I do wrong? What did my parents do wrong? Did, what did they do wrong that every day of my life, I have to deal with being blind. Not only that, I have to deal with everybody thinking that that is the reason why. That is the burden that this man would have been carrying. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is he looks past those two options. He looks past the options of his suffering being a simple result of his parents' sin or his suffering being a result of his sin. And Jesus looks past it and he says that this is not from the sins of this man and it's not from the sins of his family. Wow. Just hearing that alone, if that man heard those words, could have been healing in itself. A reminder that this ailment that he's going through is not a product of God's punishment. And this leads me to my first point that I'll be making today, that pain is not God's punishment. Pain is not God's punishment. The man that was born blind was being blamed for his sins or the sins of his parents as a punishment from God. And we Christians need to hear that well, that if you are experiencing pain and suffering in your life, that that is not necessarily a direct punishment from God. Don't get me wrong. We live in a fallen world. 
We live in a world that is broken. When I say this world is broken and when I say this world it's fallen, it means that God never intended for the pain and suffering that we experience to be a part of this world. In fact, the pain and the suffering that we experience is simply a direct result of what? The sin, the brokenness. But we have to understand that just because we experience brokenness doesn't mean that that is God trying to punish us, God trying to be cruel with a magnifying glass and aiming the sun to burn us. Because you have to remember that the moment sin entered into this world, what did God do? He ushered in a plan. Paul reminds us this much in Romans 5.18 when he says this, Consequently, just as one trespass, meaning sin, resulted in the condemnation of all people, so also righteous, a, one righteous act, referring to what? Jesus' work on the cross, Jesus' resurrection, resulted in what? The justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. God is not the author of sin. In a similar way, we need to understand that God is not the author of pain and suffering in our lives that we experience. He may allow it. He may allow you to go through pain, but don't think that the prosperity gospel that tries to teach that all you need is Jesus, and through having Jesus, you have health, you have wealth, and if you aren't experiencing those things, then there's something wrong with you, is true, because that is a false gospel. The truth is, is that we will experience brokenness at times. We will experience pain at times. And that is a natural part of living in a world where sin exists. It's much like taking a flower or taking a vegetable and cutting it from the vine. It looks okay for a certain period of time, but eventually what happens? It begins to wither. It begins to rot. In a very similar way, that's exactly what happened to this world when we disconnected ourselves from God. That even though there might be some appearance of life, ultimately all of us the clock is winding down and we are all withering without who in our life. God grafting us back in to bring life back into our lives. And this reminder from Paul is a reminder that even though this brokenness exists, that we need to remember that Jesus brings the life back into our, 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 our lives. Thank you. So what carries on from that moment? Well, in verse 6, it says this, 
After saying this, he spit on the ground, referring to Jesus. He made some mud with his saliva and put it on the eyes of the man. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure how many of you would be okay with me doing that for you. (laughs) Jesus always works in these new and exciting ways. And he tells the man after that, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Now, there's a few things that I really love about this scripture. The most obvious one is Jesus performs a miracle. I mean, what a beautiful thing to be able to, I mean, can you just imagine being there and seeing one second a guy who can't see, and then in the next moment, all of a sudden, his sight is restored? The beautiful thing is that miracles still happen today. God still moves today. I mean, there are stories out there of God still putting his hand of healing on people's lives. There was a woman from our church, I won't won't name you, but you know who you are, who sends me every now and then just a miracle stories of how she's praying for people and how she tries to ask God big things because she believes that God can move in big ways. And I've seen it within my own life. of God bringing healing into my life. And that's kind of ironic after I cough, right? But God bringing healing into my own life. So obviously, it would have been just spectacular to be able to see this miracle performed. But what's so amazing about this story is I find it ironic and yet beautiful that they don't recognize him anymore. I feel like that should be a picture of our lives, right? That when God heals us, that when we become Christians and we receive God's renewing work in our lives, that there should be a sense, right, of people no longer being able to recognize us, right? And I think that is true. I know that for myself, when God came into my life, I began to change in a radically better direction. The best way that I could describe it is that I finally felt like I was being the person I was meant to be all along. And I'm sure this man felt very similar, that finally he was getting to be the person that he knew he was meant to be all along. Because he was getting to move outside of not just being able to see, but hopefully being able to to finally work again, to finally enter society again, to be known as somebody not with an identity of being blind or an identity of being a beggar, but an identity of being 
a son of God. And that's the beautiful thing that the gospel does for us, is it transforms our lives so that whatever label we might be carrying with us is a label that we can let go of. That we, the label, the new label that we can carry is redeemed, forgiven, a daughter of the king, a son of the king. And I think this is exactly what is happening in this man's life. But more so, I think what is happening in this man's life, and is my second point for today, is that through our pain, we become mirrors of glory. Through our pain, we become mirrors of glory. Because here's what I believe, that through our weakness and suffering, God makes torn up people mirrors of glory. Rick Warren puts it like this, don't waste your pain, use it to help others. Don't waste your pain, use it to help others. You see, I think the quicker we accept that we will experience suffering, that we will experience pain, that that pain isn't necessarily a product of our own sin or isn't a punishment of God, then the quicker we can use that pain and turn it upside down. You see, what the enemy means for evil in your life, what the enemy means as a mechanism to steal, kill, and destroy, and harm you in your life, God is able to flip those things upside down, and he's able to use that as an instrument of glory. And look no further than the cross of Christ, right? Here you have an instrument that was designed to create the most severe kind of pain and prolong that pain for as long as possible. And what does God do? He takes this instrument, this cross, that would have been a symbol of death, and he turns it into what? A symbol of life to now when we see that cross, we see hope. We don't see the death. We don't see the torture. It's why we don't have Jesus on the cross anymore because he's a resurrected Lord and through that instrument of pain, God brings glory. So how much more should you take the pains and the sufferings in your own life and use it as an instrument of glory? as a mirror of glory, to reflect God's glory in the life of somebody else who needs it. You see, I think we live in a world that likes to hide our pain, right? If you belong to any social media platform, you learn very quickly that people only like showing the highlights of life. And maybe one too many cat photos. <laughs> but very rarely does someone actually share the inner struggles, the scars that they wear. Because for whatever reason, we feel like we need to show the world a perfect, polished person. 
And in reality, what God might be calling you to do is to not be a perfect, polished person, but to be a kind of person that can reflect his glory through whatever circumstances you've been through. If God has given you a testimony of victory in your life, share it. If God has given a pain in your life that he has helped you work through, share it. Because chances are that through that moment of suffering, God will use it to speak into somebody else's life. And you, whether you realize it or not, you might be the person that God is calling to make a difference in somebody's life. In fact, I won't even say you might be. You are the person that God is calling to make a difference in people's lives. And so often it starts with just sharing our story, with sharing the pains that we suffer through. You know, I love this quote from a professor that I studied under. He actually preached at our church last year. Douglas Groteis, he writes this, Pain, whether physical or emotional, offers us a dramatic choice. If God will not take away the pain, we can choose to identify more deeply with the sufferings of Christ and seek his grace. Now, just to make that point a little bit more clear, that whenever you are going through a pain in your life, you get to think back to what the pain that Jesus went through. You see, we could make choices with how we handle our situations. And the wrong choice, in my opinion, is that when we go through pain to say, God, why are you punishing me? Or God, I don't get it. Or God, I hate you for this. But rather to instead make the choice to say, Lord, I can't imagine what it was to go through that, but I know it was hard. Thank you, God. Thank you. Because we could go down that path, and through our own pains, we could look to our God and thank him for his sacrifice. Because so often what we end up doing instead is we control our pain through vice, right? We try to medicate our pain with instead Clinging to Christ, we give in to sin, and we give in to more sin. And through that, what we end up doing, if anything, is making our situation worse. Because make no mistake, where there is sin, there is death. Amen? So pain is not God's punishment. Through our pain, we become mirrors of glory. And finally, there will be a day when the pain ends. Uh, Thank you. I want to hear an amen from everybody. There will be a day when the pain ends. Thank you. And you know, this was totally unplanned, and and I know Dr. Olson mentioned this verse last week, but 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10 reminds us of this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, 
but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. The reason why God does not take us the moment we become his followers, listen to this closely, the reason why God does not take us the moment we become his followers is because of this great truth. He does not want anyone to perish. So in God's great love, he extends his mission to set the captives free to who? To each of us, we each become ambassadors of his great kingdom, mirroring his glory to others so that they may know him. It's why in his final words before ascending into heaven, he reminds his disciples, he commissions his disciples and says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded to you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that what does that mean? That means that if you have breath in your lungs, that if you are alive in this world, that God is not done with you yet. That even though you might experience pain and suffering, you might even be going through pain and suffering right now. That if God has you here, he wants to use you as a mirror of glory to the world to help shine his light to others, which is exactly why this blind man lived. It wasn't because of the sin in his life or the sin in his parents' lives. It was to do what? To reflect God's glory to this world. It's why when this young man would eventually be questioned by the Pharisees who were upset at his healing. Could you imagine that? People being upset over someone who was blind now being having a miracle and being able to see. He replies to them, whether he is a sinner referring to Jesus, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now, amen, sister, I see. That's what God wants to do with you. So the question, why does God allow pain and suffering? Well, the truth is, is that he never wanted it. But God doesn't waste anything. And probably the reason why God allows pain and suffering is because he allows us to continue to live on this world, much like soldiers who are sent off into battle in order to stomach and be a part of terrible things for the hope of freedom. In some ways, God sends us off. This is our battle, this world that we're in, the sin that we experience around us, the pain and suffering that we go through. But yet we get to do what? We get to fight for real freedom. Freedom from sin. I'm not talking about just borders. I'm talking about freedom from sin. Real life. That's the cause that we get to be a part of. So maybe the better question isn't, God, why are you allowing this? 
But maybe the better question is, God, how could you use me through this? Amen? I know this isn't easy. I know that many of you, whether you're going through it now, whether you've been through it in the past, or whether you know somebody who is going through some really deep pain and suffering right now, it's not always the right answer to just tell them, well, you know, God loves you. Well, you know, God, he works all things for his good. It's not always the kindest thing to say. But you know how to love them. You do. And sometimes that just starts with just listening, with just praying, with just taking the time to share your own testimony with others and to relate with that person, to not speak from a point of above to a point below, but just to be there side by side and being able to love them, help them, and care for them right where they're at. Because I believe that is why God allows us to continue to live in this world after we've become Christians, because he wants us to reach this world. In the coming months, we're going to talk more about what that means, because our next series that we'll be entering into is called Thriving Discipleship. And we're going to look at, as a church, how do we thrive? How does Pastor Kevin thrive? How does Greg thrive? How does Barb thrive? Stan, whomever's in the audience, thrive in your discipleship journey. And the simple answer is, is having the humility to allow God to change us, to help us to be people that are worshiping him, that are connecting with our mutual believers, that are serving in his kingdom, and that are giving, that are generous people, the kind of people that are willing to give of what they have to others that need it, whether that is kindness or whether that is something else. But make no mistake, church, God wants to use you. He wants to take whatever pains you are going through or that you've been through and use it as a mirror of glory for others to see. Let's pray.